my name's Aiden Law, and this is After Jet, a podcast about the Jet alumni community. I'll be speaking with Leslie Kian, who has the awesome job title of Game Master with a mobile gaming company in Tokyo. Leslie's life journey has been wonderfully meandering, which at one point saw him being the subject of a travel show for South Korean TV. After finishing the Jet program in 2011, by his own admission, he did a random assortment of jobs, including working as a recruitment agent at a Tokyo recruitment agency for one long, horrible month. We discuss among other things, what a game master does, the industry, and also about being required to play games for hours on end as part of the job description. Sima, playing games is serious business. As always, my talks are open to anyone who wants to join in. This time, I'm joined by David Relling from here in Sydney. And apologies for the sound quality, some technical issues, and I'm also not a sound engineer, so in parts you can hear the audio bleed where I've made cuts. Other than that, enjoy! I got contacted by this one agency who were looking for English-speaking staff to reply to customer emails for a game company. I'm like, ooh, games? Emails in mm-hmm. English? Hey, I can do this. Went in, had an interview at the, um, well, from through a Haken Gaisha, so dispatch agency sort of thing. So I went to the agency, had an interview, thought, oh, yeah, no, this is okay, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Got an email back a couple of weeks later saying, the actual office that I'd be working for wants to interview me. Went in for an interview and it's like this huge brand new building in the central Shibuya with like all the glass walls and typical IT company sort of thing, right? With fantastic view saying, hey, this is our place. You want to come work for us? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I was actually employed there to do customer service work originally. So they'd released most of the games are in Japan, but they had released several overseas, and um, they needed people to reply to the emails or customer service emails in English. Uh, however, when I first arrived, you're supposed to have a one-week tutorial orientation sort of thing to the company. They were just in the process of creating a new game, and I got through two days of the orientation, and they said, we need you to come do some translation work, like, now. Is that okay? So, instead of doing CS work, I got, I was there, so, like, here, yeah, do this translation work. So I spent the first month or so just uh, doing translation work for the company, which was pretty fun. Then after that, I moved back to I moved to CS because I employed a few more translators. CS and, is uh, what? Uh, customer service. Right. Okay. Yep. Did that for a couple of weeks. They had me in investigating some. It's kind of hard to explain. Investigating some. Um, there was a like a hacking incident with some of the, with one of the games. And yeah. um, they said, can you like put all these emails together and investigate it? I'm like, okay. Trying to like have you pick up some evidence or? <laughs> Basically, yeah, just summarize and look for what had happened. Are people, is it actually possible that it happened? Are people just um, trying to trick us for more money or just kind of sort out what types of emails, who's saying what? So made the summary, submitted it to the, um, to the team. And then they came back and said, well, it looks like this ha- hacking has actually occurred. We want one of your team to actually help the engineers investigating whether they were hacked or not and trying to look at the data to find out what really went on. Because I put the file together, they go, oh, well, this guy put the file together. You can take him. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I'm, so I got employed to write emails. 
I spent the first month translating, and now I'm looking at random data to find out if people were hacking into the game. This is kind of awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's when I when I started doing game master sort of work. Now, um, what game masters actually do is um, basically we look for people doing anything against the terms of conditions. Um, so, say hacking into other accounts, um, trying using cheats, tools, bots, scripts, things like that, trying to auto automate the process. Um, <clears throat> are people trying to sell their accounts for real money? Um, mm. Anything like that. They can have like a negative impact to other players, or it's mm -hmm. just generally against the terms and conditions. We would um, inve we investigate various things and um, implement. Um, Trying to think of the English words for all these, the um, countermeasures. Um, mm. Basically, we look for people doing that, and we try to stop them, and we try to make right. it not possible for other people to do the same thing. And feel free to use the Japanese word and then give the translation. Oh yeah. Uh, so, all right, well, the um, say taisaku the word for the for say is like doing things you're not supposed to do, and taisaku is uh, countermeasures. Most of what we do, we kind of had code names for everything for all the individual um, activities and tasks. And we actually recently got a couple of new people join our team. So I was trying to explain what the words mean to them. Mm. And, yeah, <laughs> it didn't go over too well. It's like, well, this just means this, even though the word itself means something completely different. We use it as this meaning, so just remember that. Were they native Japanese speakers or foreigners as well? Uh, both. Both, all right. Yeah, so we eventually got reclassified as from out from under the CS and under the engineering umbrella, which is where we are now. Technically, we're engineers, but we don't program. <laughs> I was just curious, because you said you do have all these countermeasures and so on. Could you just give an example of, like, just the technical details of what you do as a game master? Just, like, one thing you do to stop people from abusing the game. Like, what tool do you do and use, and how do you go okay. about doing it? Yeah, well, um, what say without, you know, kind of breaking your confidentiality. Yeah. yeah, I can't go into specific specifics, but um, to give you a general idea, say, say the games, they're um, quest-based. So they're all mobile phone games, first of all. Yeah. And they're, yeah, oh, I can talk about games that have closed already. Okay, this works. <laughs> um, so one thing we used to do with one of the old games was um, there was, you could um, do quests, and it was stamina-based. So, say, every five minutes your stamina would renew one point or whatever. So normally people would use up their stamina and then log in again several hours later and use up their stamina again, just going through the main quest or whatever. But what often what people would do is um, create bots and tools and things like that to just kind of automate that. So, like, mm. every time it had refreshed, say, and, and a certain amount, it would automatically advance another quest. We would look for patterns that were... Um, distinctly unhuman-like. Say, for example, always operating at e between exactly 4 a.m. and 8 a.m. at exactly yeah. this time, exactly this number, exactly this quest, every or single day for, like, six months. From one source in the world, like, like a key address kind of thing? Automating, we don't really look at it that much, but for other incidents, we do look at IP addresses and try and figure out where they're coming from. So how much of that actually, because I, I can't imagine that you would be eyeballing reams of code and whatever. Oh, no. so. 
<laughs> no, I can't imagine that would happen. So obviously, you've set that your uh, the engineering team has set up some kind of uh, notification system that runs checks in real yeah. time, I suppose. Some are real time, some are delayed because um, social games it's always running and running everything in real time puts quite a strain on the service. Yeah. Yeah. So generally, we'll kind of back up all the information from the game, send it to a backup server, and um, run the checks and everything on that. And yeah, so when we were working out what countermeasures we were going to do, we'd um, discuss with the engineering team, um, the project, what they think is possible for a human to do, what isn't, things mm -hmm. like that. And then we'd set the server, or the engineers would create a program to um, just put out a list of accounts that met certain criteria. Then we'd run those through other certain qualification, other criteria, and in the end we'd come up with a list of accounts that were designa designated as these ones are people doing bad things. Online, web, social games, whatever, um, it's all databases. So we just run SQL searches through everything to get the specific information that we want, narrow it mm. down and whatnot. SQL isn't programming, but since joining the team, I did learn SQL. Oh, cool. Did you make recommendations as to it would be re really useful if you created this script or this program to do this, which will output this particular data, which will help us in our job. Did that happen? Essentially, yes. Yeah. Um, Regularly that's the main or thing at the beginning? Um, in the beginning, because um, once those systems were in operation, we just have to uh, manually check all the results to make sure there's no problem with them. But occasionally, from time to time, we'd um, suggest new systems or new things or when a new game came out, we'd um, sit down and talk with the project to talk about uh, what they could do, what potential problems they might have. And everybody inside the company is um, very good with um, sharing code among amongst each other. So mm. we've, got, we've got this script, which is we're doing in these games. You can um, just kind of merge it and into the service for these other games as well. What are working conditions like? Where I am now is actually really good. Being a game company, they do have the um, crunch time sort of thing, right? Where mm -hmm. um, when the game's about to be released, there's a lot more stuff to do and people have to stay late. For Japanese games, the or social games anyway, the a large percent of the monthly profit is decided at the end and at the start of the month. So every game goes full out at the end of the start of the month, trying to, um, they always like run events or have specials or things like that. So, Geshu Taiyo is like a phenomenon thing here in Japan where at the end of the month, it's, this isn't actually unique to game companies because lots of other companies do it, the monthly crunch time. So people often stay a lot later than they normally do or um, you have some teams that actually operate overnight, mm -hmm. um, 24 hours. Well, the CS department does that, but they work in shifts, so that's fine. For most other departments in the company, it can be quite a stressful time, a full-on time. But mm -hmm. my team, we're like, we rarely work more than half an hour overtime. Unless wow. there's like a particular, uh, one specific thing goes wrong that we have to deal with like then and there. Um, we rarely work overtime, which is really good. But the other departments, some have more pressure to overtime and stay later to get more work done. But a lot of other teams as well, they're just, they're fine with their people um, just leaving straight at um, 7 o'clock when we finish. Generally speaking, it's a really good atmosphere, and they look after their staff pretty well. Okay. But there are exceptions, of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. Are there signs uh, at the beginning when you go in for an interview, for example, that 
that you can see that would tell you whether or not it would be a good company to work for? There are some signs, but they're not always present. The things to watch for would be um, the people who are interviewing you. If they look like exhausted or flat out or things like that, it means it's generally not a good sign. Yeah. Or just kind of general manner stuff in Japan. Like um, they say if they keep you waiting for a long time without reason or if they keep delaying or they, oh, no, let's reschedule, let's reschedule or things like that. Mm. That's generally a sign of a place that hasn't got everything together well. Oh, one thing you can kind of um, watch is how the people who are interviewing, interviewing you, the managers, whatever, how they treat you. One of the um, executives of our company was going around doing um, talks to various teams, right? And um, one of the things I remembered him saying was um, interviewing people. Whether they are going to work for you or not is regardless. You always treat them as um, good as you can. Mm. Because if you do decide to hire them or they decide to work for you, then they are going to be part of your company. So, of course, you want them want to be polite to them. Mm. But the second you decide that they are not going to work for you, at that stage, they stop becoming an interviewee and start becoming a customer. Because so anybody coming to the company or anybody in the office who isn't working there is a customer of the company. Yeah. And you must treat customers with the utmost respect. Um, and even if this person doesn't come and work for you or isn't appropriate for the position they've applied for, they might recommend to somebody else, hey, I had a really good um, interview over there. wasn't for me, but you might fit well there. And they might be able to introduce you to somebody else. Or, um, yeah, so essentially networking, kind of. Well, not really networking, but the potential for um, continued contact. Right, um, I, okay. I, I'd love to ask too then, have, did you notice, have you had any other interviews like that in Japan? We're now looking back that you saw some very clear signs that this was just not a good job. The interview, like with your recruiting, when, you, when they interviewed you initially, looking back now, can you see, oh, I should not have done that. <laughs> the recruiting one particularly, they're just like, yep, no, you're a number, you're not important, you're, going, you're probably not going to be here more than a couple of months, but... We're going to give you a job. You should be happy, sort of thing. It's like, yeah, that's not the no. Um, actually, one of my friends who um, used to work for the company company I'm at now, he also sat an interview, sat for an interview at the same um, recruitment consultant agency. Mm. And before he came to Japan, he was like a high school teacher for ten mm. odd years, right? So he came, went to the interview, and the lady who interviewed him goes, so. Teaching is that really a career? Wow! Wait a wow. but invite someone to an interview and insult them at the same time. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> needless to say, he didn't go back. That's yeah. No, that's a bad sign. Yeah. Harsh. <laughs> oh, I, I was just kind of curious. Like, um, are they involving you in any um development of uh, new games coming out at all? Uh, me personally, no. When it gets beyond the planning stage and is in the process of being created. We will normally sit down with the project and talk about, well, when we find out what the game's like and how it plays, we'll talk with them about any potential security flaws, for lack of a better word, that we might imagine. Like um, stamina-based game, then we can imagine automated bots or things like that. Or if it's a puzzle game, then there might be other ways to um, 
program it to automatically produce a result or things like that. But we're not involved with new games or new projects in any way up until, apart from that one time, up until um, after they've been released, basically. Because mm. up until a game is actually released, we don't really know what's going to happen. <laughs> it is amazing how imaginative people can be when they try to do bad stuff to games. Wow. I suppose you can't really talk about that, can you? Because that might Not be proprietary really. information. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's fair yeah it's kind of reminds me of when I was teaching in Japan, whenever I'd make lesson plans, I would always look at it and then I'd turn it around and think, oh, well, how can the students ruin my lesson now? <laughs> like, what are all the bad things they can do to make this not go well? And then I look at my lesson, like, okay, this is trash. You know? <laughs> I guess yeah. the other question I was thinking, too, if someone wanted to get into becoming a game master, what are some technical skills they would need to walk into that career rather than starting from the customer service up, as you did? As far as technical skills go, basically... Everything we use specifically can be taught on the job once you're in the team. The things that we can't really teach is, uh, what's the word in English? Handanyoku, right? Being able to, say, look at evidence and based solely on the evidence, being able to make a decision or come to a conclusion. Handa, uh, is that judgment and then yoku's ability or power? Yeah, remember. yeah, judgment ability which doesn't have a nice English word that I can think of at the moment. That, and also um, being able to multitask is very important because we're often handling several different things at once. And the only other thing is not really technical skills as such, but um, just being computer fluent, <laughs> if that makes sense. So, you know, like, you know your way around computer very well. We use SQL, but we can teach you that when um, you join the team. We use Excel a lot because it's a Japanese office. <laughs> so just like um, a lot of basic shortcuts, things like that, like control up goes to the top of the paragraph or top of the page, and shortcuts like that, will um, you'll be able to work a lot quicker and make things a lot easier if you do that. So to a level where you can you know, do things on the keyboard without clicking away through menus. Kind of yes. Obviously, I have to ask the question, how your experience has been on the chat program, you know, what did you use, what did you develop, skills that you developed on the chat program that helped you, that you found was actually really, really useful on the job that you have now, either helping you to apply to get your foot through the door or and or subsequently helped you to perform your task well? To be perfectly honest, actually JET did not make much of a difference either way for me. I'm just going to edit um, that out, okay. <laughs> Let me rephrase. Coming here over here on the JET program, while I didn't necessarily learn any skills or things like that, a, it got me to Japan, which was probably one of the more important things. But not just that, having working on the JET program, um, which is operation, which is operated through the Japanese government on my resume, made it a lot easier to get jobs or to get not jobs to get interviews. And saying, oh well, I was working on the JET program has a lot higher standing than um, say other mm. people who have only been say working as a dispatch ALT or things like that. Mm. in Japan where the official recognition is quite important. Having that on my resume is definitely a big help. Is it because the JET program is an official government program or a government-sponsored program? That's why it has definitely. more reputation? Yeah, definitely, yes. Okay. Because um, well, when you apply for a job for somewhere, when they're looking at your resume, they've got, you can see, say you worked at a dispatch agency. Well, yeah, dispatch agency. 
that's okay. You're an English teacher. Teachers no pay profession. You worked as an ALT through a government-sponsored program at junior high or whatever. That's definitely um, a couple of points up. And you got your job through an ad or a recruitment agency? I'm okay. I'm still employed by a through a hacking guysha through a hacking dispatch no. agency, which is very common. Like most, a lot of people at the company are, and um, most social game companies, particularly new ones that haven't been around that long, um, are in a similar setup with um, the majority of their staff being, well, technically contract or dispatch workers. Mm-hmm. Now the work I can do technically depends on my contract. I have quite an open contract, which is basically, yeah, I can do any sort of work. But um, other people I know, they have um, like engineering contracts, so they can only do specific engineering work and nothing else. Or um, the lo- some of the um, localization team, they can only do localization work and nothing else. Back to your visa status, I was just kind of, I was going to ask you that question if it's not too personal. Oh, you're married. Um, I'm on permanent residency now, so. I was thinking that. I was, I was kind of curious what your visa status would be if you weren't married and wanted to work for a Japanese yeah. company. Um, when I first started, I was on um, yeah Japanese spouse, and I've since moved yeah, yeah permanent residency now. So, yay, no visas. <laughs> After I posted that job posting on the Facebook sites, we had quite a few people come through, and at least two of them got offered jobs. Oh, you um, mean like the... Response to the ad that you posted recently on our Facebook group? Yes. Right. Okay. Woo! Um, it works! <laughs> um, I don't think either of them actually accepted, but yeah. Oh. The one thing I don't, unfortunately, don't know anything about and is going to be a hurdle for most people coming off JET is visas and visa status. Generally speaking, I don't think my company does sponsor people's visas. So it's, it's a case-by-case very... case basis, right? Like some companies might, other companies don't kind of thing, yeah. Ah, correct, yes, yes. And um, while I did say my company, most people start off on Haken or contract or things like that, other companies will employ almost everybody as Seishain straight away. So it varies a lot. For any JET who has a long-term plan of working in Japan, I don't know, can, can they... Apply for a visa status, change of visa? Hmm, that's a difficult question. Again, I'm not, I don't know that much about this particular topic since I've never had to worry about it. Generally speaking, most people who are ALTs will be over on a um, teacher, a Kyoshi mm-hmm. visa. Mm-hmm. And on that visa, technically you're not allowed to work in IT industry or localization or anything like that. Because oh, um, okay. localization translating that um, would be more the uh, international relations specialist visa, the ones mm. that they give to CIRs. Mm. Oh, I didn't know they were on a separate visa. That's interesting. Because, yeah, different visas for different categories of work. It makes sense to me, though. Like, you know, you can speak the language, then you would obviously have more advantages being in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. So for people coming off CIR, <clears throat> they'll definitely have an advantage with um, trying to find a new job. Mm. Um, ALTs, on the English visa, they're going to have to try and change, well, the other type, humanities or international relations or something like that. Would it be really difficult for them to do that on their own? Or I imagine it would be very difficult for them to do it on their own. If they don't actually have a job, I don't know if it's even possible. But, Mm -hmm. again, I don't know much about this topic, so I could easily be wrong. Um, As far as I know, for visas, you have to kind of get sponsored by a company. Just curious, then, as you speak with language levels, um, was 
was having um the jail one level uh, JLPT level essential for this job or no speaking being able to speak Japanese is definitely an advantage and I don't think I would be where I am today if I didn't speak Japanese as well as I do but we recently interviewed um somebody who um he speaks Japanese all right but he has never done JLPTs but that's well with my company anyway it's more about your ability to understand as opposed to any specific qualification. That's, that's but great. not all that's companies really are like that. A lot no. of companies are used to hiring lots of foreigners, then they'll specifically ask for at least N2 or higher. Mm. But sometimes they say N2 or equivalent or higher. Still, if you are looking for a job in Japan, it is definitely worth getting the um, JLPT. Um, at least level two, and if possible, level one. For most places, they will make a difference. And the fact that you sat down and got the qualification will definitely count points towards you. During your uh, interview process, what what did they ask you about, essentially? When I had the interview at the Hakengaisha, they gave me some emails in Japanese and said, here, translate these into English. They asked me if I like games or if I know about games or have experience working in Japan. Just general sort of things, right? Nothing really specific. But that one was over pretty quick. Then when I had the um, interview at the actual company that I'm working for, they, well, first we sat down, then they explained about the company, about the game that I'd be working on. Um, mm. Then they had um, somebody else who, another English speaker there as well. And um, just to double check, make sure my English was okay. And um, so she asked me, so if you're working for this company, you're going to have to play games like every single day. Is that okay? And I'm like, um... That's basically my um, what I do every day now, <laughs> so I think that's okay. It's like, play games all day? Well, see, Mom, it actually, yes, you can get a job playing games every day. Uh, as, you, as you ignore her and pull out your phone and just start playing games in the interview next <laughs> The message to everybody is that, you know, just play games a lot, you'll eventually find a job in another country. Yeah. yeah, but that is one other side of my job is because we are, well, game masters, right? We do mm. actually have to know all the games our company puts out, like, really, really well. Basically, for the um, couple of new people who'd recently joined our team, their first two weeks is just playing games with a bit of explanation of, explanation of what they're doing. But here, play this game. You up to this level yet? No, nope. play harder. <laughs> right? Okay, play this play game. more, David. Play more. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is fantastic. I, I can so, already um, this is another. Yes. <laughs> this is another area like the multitasking is important as well because you do have to understand the fine detail, uh, the specifics of all the different games. And different mm. games, the specifics are completely different. While there is some crossover for some of them, yeah, you've got to learn all the games in detail. And the best mm, way to right. do that is by playing them for hours and hours of, on end. That's all right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they're good games, so I have no qualms with playing them, so... <laughs> Are you able to talk about the industry uh, in general? Like, how the, is it a growing industry, and also <clears throat> how open is this industry and companies are to employing uh, non-Japanese people? Is there a preference or, you know, anything unique about it? Okay, well, with the whole most many people being employed on contracts, because essentially a lot of these companies are still quite new, um, they're almost basically still um, startup companies. <clears throat> um, it does cost quite a lot of capital to actually get set up and running with a game. 
Mm. And um, now the most popular game, well, the model of games over here are the um, free-to-play games. So they're free, but you can purchase in-game various items or whatever. The only problem with these games is if they don't go well, then the company that makes them is basically left with just the cost and no profit. Mm. So there have been cases of um, games that um, they employed many people, they made a game, spent a lot of money, spent a lot of time, made the game, released the game, it failed, it went terribly, and so they had to fire everybody and then close down the company. So with Japan um, employment laws and things like that, if people are on contracts and things like that, it's um, relatively easy to just not renew the contract or say their work is no longer required. But if people are employed seishin, then it's a lot more difficult to fire them, essentially. Mm. So from a company security point of view, it's bet uh, yeah, from their standpoint, it's better to employ people um, short, for the moment, short term. And then as the company stabilizes and um, gets more profitable over a longer time, transfer them to full-time employees. It is still definitely a growing industry in Japan, and there are um, constantly new companies coming up with new games. Frequently, a um, company, brand new company, never heard of, of it before, will release its first game, and that first, ga first game gets um, like top number one in the rankings on the Play Store for a couple of days, right? And, then, and generally when um, a game becomes that popular, there will be interest from overseas. Whether it's um, whether they'll then look at translating it to English and releasing it overseas, or if they're just, or if the people are just going to have to put up with playing it in in Japanese, it depends on the company and how profitable they think it will be. I mean, there was a few other questions like um, that's sent through that was more technically related. It's I'm not hundred percent, but um, a lot of the new games in development are being developed in um, Unity. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep. Okay, so knowing Unity, um, C-sharp, things like that um, are definitely useful. Mm. I do remember being told back in my orientation that um, the that with our company anyway, it doesn't, we don't stick to using one specific platform or one specific language. If you know a language that can do something or use this to do make it better, then um, they'll definitely consider it. Mm. And we um, actually have a whole division dedicated to just researching new stuff, mm. um, which is kind of cool. So I guess for anybody, like, it's still a good, it's a good idea to just get started building on their own personal project, just learn just something yeah. that would give them an advantage over other other candidates. And yeah. People yeah. I'd recommend, um, well, yeah, understanding PHP, um, learning, say, C Sharp and Java, or JavaScript. And obviously, like, you know, when, even if they don't finish a project, at least get to the point where it's de they can demonstrate what they can do, that kind of stuff, and where they go up to. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that, that covers that's the part of the question. I've done my duty. Uh, <laughs> you know the game Hearthstone? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sounds yeah. familiar. Yep. That was um, all developed or made in Unity. Oh, and that okay. was one of the first um, big games that came out developed in Unity, which kind of let the world know you can do this sort of stuff in this engine. It's actually pretty good. Yeah, they actually, they actually made a few. I think they made a movie or two in Unity. Also, they're yeah, yeah. Some, and they've used it to model like um, houses or property for real estate sales. So it actually goes beyond. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, any last thoughts or advice? <laughs> advice for, for people wanting to get into, say, your industry and you, your role? 
<laughs> my role? Um, be lucky. Or just now. in general. Um, maybe in general as a jet, uh, like just wanting to get to work in, in Japan or, yeah. In general, so, yeah, trying to get, working in Japan in general, a lot of um, very minor things become important. So, say, um, presenting yourself neat, um, being polite, always saying thank you and you're welcome, things like that. Even mm. though they don't really seem like big things, they do make a lot of difference. And particularly in, in interviews, they make a huge difference to how you're perceived. I would say be honest about what you can do. Don't try and talk yourself... Say if you've studied something a little bit, don't try and talk yourself up as um, having mastered it. Say you've had experience doing it, but you're not necessarily as well studied as some as somebody who's been doing it all their life or something. Mm. Um, yeah, so be polite, be honest, and never give up. Good words to live by. Gambate! <laughs> <laughs> You found our talk interesting. Thanks once again to Leslie for taking time out from being a busy father of two young bubbies and being patient with my questions, and David for joining in. Until next time, this has been the Afterjet Podcast.